0: My name is Matt Troop, and I serve as CEO of Conway Regional Health System, and welcome to the Conway Regional One Team, One Promise podcast, where we tell the stories of our bold, exceptional, uh, and called team here at Conway Regional that provide high-quality, compassionate healthcare to the communities we serve. We are really proud of our team's response throughout COVID and response to this pandemic, so we want to take some time to talk about our approach, uh, which I think is really unique, uh, and the way our team has been affected and continues to be affected uh, as the pandemic continues to surge. I'm joined here today by Dr. Uh, Greg Kendrick. Hello, Dr. Kendrick. How are you? Doing great. Good. I think this makes the third time he's actually taken the time to be on our podcast, so I really appreciate him, him taking time. Dr. Kendrick is our medical director of our hospitalist service and uh, longtime Conway resident, actually grew up in the community, uh, been with our uh, health system now for about 20 years. So we're very blessed uh, to have Dr. Kendrick uh, as a member of our team and a leader in our medical staff. Today's podcast is really going to cover three things. Uh, first is kind of a brief response to uh, our, a brief history rather, of our response to COVID. Um, some of those items and that, that response can be picked up in some of our earlier podcasts if you wanted to go back and listen to those. We're going to talk about our current preparations, uh, something that um, is evolving as uh, we have gone through COVID now for nine months. Uh, we've continually had to adapt, and certainly you're going to learn new things that we're doing. We're going to talk about a topic that is uh, also very appropriate in healthcare today, but frankly has been for a long, long time, and that's resilience. Uh, staff and certainly not just in Conway but all across the country uh, in healthcare are tired. And we're going to talk about resilience and how we are specifically trying to address and help our teams be more resilient. And of course, throughout this discussion, we're going to pull in Dr. Kendrick to get his perspective from a, a clinician and someone who's actually worked on the unit uh, pretty extensively over the last nine months. So we hope you enjoy today's uh, discussion and our continued response. Uh, about our continued response to COVID-19. Okay, so thinking back here, I think this is probably the fourth or fifth. I'd have to ask our producer, and that's one of his many titles, uh, uh, Paul, here about uh, the exact number, but probably our fourth or fifth, uh, if not more, podcast on COVID and really talking about um, our COVID response and and, and what we're doing, and I know for for many, um, it's been some of our more listened to uh, sessions uh, for for our One Team One Promise podcast. So, real quick as we get started, I'll I'll give kind of a high level debrief on on uh, our COVID response. Really, what all have we done up to this point? And then we'll kind of launch into some discussion here with with Dr. Kendrick. Um, you know, first I want to want to point out that our team has really showed incredible uh, creativity, innovation, hard work, grit. I think there's a lot of whole other words that I could use here to to define them. Um, we were one of the first sites uh, in the state, uh, had to be, uh, to have a drive-through testing site. And so the first case in Arkansas, I believe was on March 11th. Uh, by March 13th, we had our drive-through up and running. And for those of you that will recall, That was Friday the 13th. What a great day to to start a drive-through. Pretty quickly thereafter, um, we got a call center up and running. This was a center that could screen folks who thought they may have COVID or had questions about COVID. So with our uh, reallocation of staff, uh, you guys may recall, hospitals became empty uh, really at at the start of the pandemic as people started to avoid their doctor and they started to avoid the hospital. So we had a lot of clinical staff that we reallocated to a call center, and that call center helped to answer questions and alleviate a lot of fears and concerns of the community. We also started to provide telemedicine. So we went from virtually doing zero telemedicine to, overnight, about 60 to 70% of our volume, our our clinic volume across our our health system being uh, telemedicine-oriented. so we stood up and started and launched a whole telemedicine service line. I'll just add real quickly, even to this day, uh, there's about a quarter of our volume, 25% or so of our clinic visits are telemedicine in nature. We had a real challenge with personal protective equipment as every hospital in the country did, and we took rather aggressive steps to procure more PPE. That was that was a challenge that um, that we faced. Um, We had challenges with patient placement. So, you know, uh, I often tell folks that what we have with with COVID is in part, yes, a volume issue, Um, perhaps more challenging, definitely more challenging. It's a cohort issue (laughs) because I think a lot of what we face could, could be a lot easier to deal with if we could put a COVID patient next to a heart failure patient, next to a hip fracture patient, et cetera. But unfortunately, we have to cohort these patients, which means we take up more space sometimes than we really need, and so uh, that's that's made some challenges. Um, and we've also had changing directives. You know, the, uh, the CDC, Arkansas Department of Health. Really, we're all dealing with something very, very new. There's a reason they call it the 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 novel uh, COVID virus. It's the new COVID virus, and so uh, as our education, treatments, testing capabilities have changed. We've had to change and adopt. We've gone from really no in-house testing capabilities for COVID to now having PCR, rapid uh, antigen testing, and even antibody testing. So we have uh, improved our skill set and tools that we have, uh, not to mention drugs and medicine that we've been able to bring uh, to, to the fore as well uh, to help, help treat COVID. And throughout, uh, really, since that March 11th time frame when we acted our incident command center, we've had a regular cadence and discussion around COVID day to day. What are we doing? How many patients do we have? What's the status uh, we have in the last nine months? Had a had a census. I think we got down to as low as one or two right. <laughs> on our COVID unit, and starting to talk about, hey, let's shut this down. Um, to uh, upwards of over 30 COVID patients. And so um, the challenges there are immense to be able to flex and adapt. And the demands on staff uh, have been have been great. You know, I tend to think of COVID in really kind of two phases, really, you know, the first phase, there was a lot of fear, concern, but we had no other volume. So really COVID was was kind of got the bulk of our attention and focus. Now, Dr. Kendrick, we not just have COVID; we've got a lot of other sick people as well. <laughs> right, right. The hospital has filled back up. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I would, I think we've talked about this before, but you know, love to get your feedback on what, what causes that. If it, if my own sense, and I've heard anecdotal, you know, pieces here and there, are, are just stories of people who maybe didn't get you know, appropriate follow-up, maybe they had a physician, they quit going to the physician during COVID, or maybe they didn't have access to medicine. You know, some may have lost insurance and just didn't have access that that way. Are you seeing more and more people who have evidence that, that it's a chronic disease issue that they've not been able to manage very well through COVID?
1: I feel like that is a huge part of it. And I, it, even as you're saying it, I'm thinking, okay, what are those? And at first, I think it was because the hospital was shut down in effect not shut down, but yeah. but on running, uh, I guess, a lesser volume for probably two months yeah. uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, And I thought, well, people that needed to be here probably put off coming in. And so we had a little bit of a, a bump up in our hospital census. And then since then, it feels like it's a continuation of that, but more people just not going to the doctor uh, and maybe avoiding care, Uh, Yeah, but not because they just had no access. They just chose not to go. And then the third thing I think that is palpable to me is that I think everyone at this point is tired, not just the staff at a hospital or in a clinic, but just the general population is tired of having to to think and do things differently. And they are in disarray and they don't have their normal social contacts. They don't have someone coming by to check on them. Um, And they also are probably maybe not coping as well as they would when things are going well and they're healthy. Um, And so I think all of that leads to an increased need. So the people we do have in the hospital are very sick. Um, We don't have very many people that are there that just stay for a day or two. Most of them are there, and they are complicated, and they are... They are very sick. So uh, the complications of it are, uh, it seems like it's multifactorial and it just amplifies everything.
0: Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought about this before, but our length of stay is up pretty pretty significantly. Um, again, you know, you take a, a heart failure patient today, their length of stay is longer today than it was a year ago, which is kind of a curious phenomenon. But you're bringing something up that I hadn't really thought of before. Do you think that's because their support network, I mean each one of these patients oftentimes goes home with some sort of need for, you know, home health or skilled nursing or right. some post acute need. Do you are you finding that their their support network isn't there to the degree that it was before? And that may be what's driving up our length of stay. Well, I I I think that's very likely. And and it it's difficult.
1: I feel like we have done a nice job of ma- making a happy medium of visitation at the hospital, for instance. So we yeah. have visitation and family can come see their family member. But it, it's just presence is such a big thing. And not being able to be physically present with someone affects the timeline for a decision. And it, it affects what your threshold is for uh, for making a decision to maybe go to the doctor. Yeah. And so I, I think what we see is people coming in, too late, and they're in more distress than they would have been if they had been receiving some care along the way. And some of that is just simple things at home, like their social network, uh, yeah, of, of physical contact with other human beings that we take for granted up until this pandemic took over, yeah. Um, and and then some of it is is probably fear, and some of it's uh, access. Um, so it's I think it's a complicated mix of those things.
0: Yeah, that's really really interesting. Um let's let's talk a little bit about um some of how we've we've responded and um so I've got some questions here for you. Uh what was it like for the clinical staff to to shift normal operations as we responded to COVID? Yeah,
1: I mean so we I felt like we had a great team approach. Yeah. I, you know, you talked about us having uh I guess kind of a COVID task force that formed Early on, uh, when we started seeing our first cases in the state, and quickly we morphed into an institution that could take care of that we had space for it we had staff for it we had the equipment for it um and then we had to designate staff in the hospital medical staff that were going to be seeing these patients and we had to figure out well how are we going to do that you know if you're seeing covid patients do you see other patients that don't have covid um are we going to be at risk for transmitting it and as it turns out i don't think there has been a big risk for transmission just for a patient being in the hospital but Um, We've had to basically designate and reallocate staff to specific roles. And, um, you know, that has been tricky. Um, And especially with what you're talking about, the, the variation in patient flow. So when we got down to one patient, I was thinking... You know we're yeah. we're good. Where yeah. is everybody? You know yeah. we had been making plans nine months ago, I think, for yeah. this surge that's happening now. Yeah, and then that surge didn't really come, and and I thought, well, are we going to close all of our COVID beds? And then now we have expanded to be able to accommodate. You know, like you're saying, thirty plus patients um, at the same time. So yeah. for our for our service for the hospitalists. That means that we've had two and sometimes three doctors on any given day seeing patients with COVID, where at the beginning we just had one. Yeah. Um, and that's all that it required. And And that's just my hospitalist group. So um, not to mention the subspecialty staff that, uh, that serve as consultants on these patients for us having to figure out, okay, who's going to go? Uh, you know, what's my exposure going to be and am I going to go see those patients? Can I do telemedicine visits in the hospital, which uh, I think may have been tried a few times. Yeah. You know, it's always, to me, in a in a hospital setting, it's been better to lay eyes on the patient. And, um, and you know, our team has done that since the beginning.
0: Yeah. Well, depending upon, you know, when this podcast hits the air, um, some in our community will have seen a, a news story on K.R.K., Um, taking a camera onto our COVID unit and really giving them some first glimpses really uh, as far as the public goes of our, of our unit. And you've talked about this before, I think on this podcast, but, but tell us a little bit about what, what it's like, you know, what that unit is like and um, and how working on that unit is, is different uh, than others.
1: Yeah. I mean, from, from the time that you enter that unit, you actually enter through what we call an ante room, which is kind of a preparation room that makes you aware, hey, you're about to go into a space where you need to have a certain mask on. You need to you need to be on guard because you're about to have you know possible exposure. But even when you go into the hallway, the, there's not so much exposure there. Everyone on that unit wears an N95 and you wear gown and gloves and face protection when you go into a patient room, but in the hallway, you just get a sense that there's just kind of an increased level of awareness and an increased level of caution. And um, I would say that there's a little bit more of a serious or somber feeling, you know. Sure. Um, And so, uh, so immediately, I think you get a sense of that. And then, you know, the, the, uh, PPE that we do put on when we go into patient's room, it just adds a little layer of, of extra that you have to do in, in each patient visit. And so it takes a little bit more time. You have to put it on correctly. You have to take it off correctly so that you don't contaminate yourself while you're donning or doffing it, as we call it. Yeah. Um, and so that adds an extra layer. And uh, then the patient visits um, are, I would say, they're everyone's scared. If you have COVID and you're in the hospital, then you are tense, yeah. and you're not able to see your family really, and you're scared about what might happen. And so there's just there's just a a higher level, I guess of um, uh, I guess a sense of urgency and just a little bit more uh, intensity there. Yeah. And you know that's that's every patient that's on that unit. So on the weeks that I've worked the COVID unit, it has been more taxing. I would say, like emotionally, yeah, you know it just it just is a little bit more uh intense and draining than it is taking care of patients on the regular uh floor, yeah, and not that there's necessarily any more importance to it, but it's just it's just because of all of those things combined, uh you know the other thing that I will tell you that is I think amazing that happens on those units is the sense of camaraderie among the staff, yeah, um you know <laughs> When uh, when you go through life and you become part of a team um, and you're facing a similar challenge or a similar risk, it forms bonds that are very tight. And, it, you know, it does. It feels like, hey, we're in this together and we're doing something worthwhile. Um, and, and there really is a, a sense of teamwork and camaraderie more so, uh, I guess, than there is, you know, just on the regular floor. So yeah. uh, I, I, I appreciated that and enjoyed that. And it made me proud of how our hospital has responded to the call.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't help, I'm sure, at times, pick up the, the mood of your patient, right? Your patient is worried, they're anxious. That reflects, I'm sure, on the staff and on the whole whole team. But yeah, I, I I tell you, I can't help but but agree with you when I when I talk to staff from the COVID unit and just that sense of of connection, um, and you know, frankly, a lot of staff that don't normally work together because as our census has grown, we've had to rotate different people in there, right, um, uh, to to meet our our staff needs. So uh, it's really really interesting. And do you wear that mask? Uh, When you go in? Well, actually, so this is just the mask that I wear around the
1: hospital, so Uh it it fits me more comfortably, so I I, I like it. But we actually wear a tighter version than this mask, so uh, the, the, the mask that we wear is called an N95 mask, and there is no opening around the edge. So you seal that dude tight around your nose, and there's no opening around your face and so um there's a little there's a little claustrophobia involved uh-huh. with that, and um, uh there are sometimes that you find a empty room and shut the door and you take your mask off and just gulp a few deep breaths <laughs> just so you can <laughs> breathe normally for a for a few minutes but um oh man, I'm so thankful for the effort that our uh that our uh supply team has put into procuring the equipment that we've needed. There's not been a day that, that I was here that I didn't have the mask that I needed or the goggles yeah. or, uh, you know, or a face shield or a gown. Um, and that's not easy when everyone in the world is trying to get a hold of that equipment. Yes. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful. I, I've told Brian, Brian Gibbs, you know, thank you, man. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you,
0: you yeah. know, yeah.
1: because I, I feel like they've done a great job.
0: Well, and they really have, and the the effort that they go through, I can tell you that there's not a day that's gone by since COVID started where he and James Davidson, uh, our director of materials management, aren't thinking about PPE. You know, or aren't thinking about uh, what the latest developments are. We also have now something called it's called a half mask, which is not not to imply it's half as effective, but it's just, it's a All little right. uh, it's 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 reusable. It has filters on it that you can reuse that are a little more accessible, but. But, you know, thinking about those new developments, think about where, where can we get more of those? How do we get more of those? Uh, we've had a couple of very large and costly purchases to really give us even more security there. So um, we're very thankful to have somebody that well, that's all they think about. Right. It, <laughs> it's PPE and <laughs> yes. how to how to get it. Um, you know, one other thing I will say that, that kind of goes back to w- what have we done to, to this date, and I should have mentioned this when we were talking about uh, kind of at the start, You know, one of the things that we knew even back in in March and April was that we were more than likely going to have a surge. You know, there was going to be flu season. This time of year is always a high volume, high census time of year. And so, um, I will also add to this discussion that uh, we were uh, aggressive in terms of trying to recruit um, staff uh, to you know to our positions. We were. Uh, aggressive in adjusting uh, our pay rates and pay scales we've made some changes there we've we've added incentives um, so there's there's a lot that we have done to try to reward and retain and to grow our team you know internally and certainly even from a hospital's perspective we added I think I have this right four hospitalists this summer right um which is, is kind of funny to think about because certainly back in, in March, we were scratching our head thinking, what are we going to have those four hospitalists do? Right, right. Well, that's <laughs> not, not a, a problem <laughs> anymore. That's not an issue and, anymore. And
1: we got four uh, jewels yeah. in our new hospitalists.
0: They are fantastic. They really, really are. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, telehealth. I know that's not something that, that you you know practice. Well, let me back up. let me, Let me ask this question. Um, testing and the value of, of testing. Um, you know, I don't have hard data on this, but I would be shocked if I found out that another health system has done as much community testing as we have. We've done over 38,000 tests, about 20,000 tests through that drive-through since March 13th. Wow. Um, as, as an inpatient clinician, yeah, how do you see that that's helped helped you in your work? I have a theory, but I would love to see your, your thoughts. Yeah. Um, that, that's a good question. I, I feel like for one, it's a, it's a great
1: community service because there's access, you know, I have friends or family call me all the time saying, where do I go to get tested? You know, what's the procedure? How do I get it? Um, our, our hospital has done a great job of setting that up. And, um, you know, As an inpatient clinician, I don't have a lot of patients that get their test there, but we do have now a system set up where if a doctor wants to admit someone from clinic, they actually send them through our drive through and we find out about their COVID status before they ever get into the hospital. Yeah. You know, if you're sick enough to come into the hospital, it's reasonable to test you for COVID, and we have made it a a habit to test every patient that comes in um, and if we didn't have that, I would think we would possibly have more exposure uh, risk yeah patients that, that were coming in, maybe for something unrelated and just happened to have it, but we weren't prepared for them to, to have it and weren't necessarily wearing the same gear we would be for a known positive patient.
0: That's uh, one, one thing we're going to do, just a little retrospective study, but my theory is that by having such testing, we have a better assurance when they do hit the ER they, or they come in for admission, you know, when they were diagnosed, the, the progression of the virus, how many days since they were exposed. We, we know these things a little better. Um, and if they're positive and they come to the ER, then, then we're going to know that. It just, it just gives us a little more insight and knowledge, uh, you know, when, when you're admitting them, what you're up against, I right, guess. Right. I, I would agree with that. And I think as we talked about before, you know, testing is the one, the one tool we have with the virus, right? I mean, a, a vaccine hopefully is going to solve this, but testing is the one thing we know that we can do to prevent spread. Right. In the right. community. It's so valuable. All right. So let's talk a little bit about staff wellness and uh, staff support. And uh, kind of the the mindset of some of our frontline um, staff, um, and uh, how we've how we've responded uh, certainly as, a, as an employer and as a as a health system. Um, you know, one thing that uh, we we did early on we offered free meals. Uh, we offered complimentary meals to our staff. We did this really uh, for, for multiple reasons. One, we couldn't gather in the cafeteria anymore <laughs> because of COVID. So um we we were trying to encourage people to eat in their department in their home unit. And so we set up a process where um we had lunch breakfast lunch and dinner free and we would deliver uh meals to the unit. Um this became something that was as much of anything I think a a work life balance issue because uh you're not having to think about where do I get my lunch? I need to pack my lunch. What am I going to do for dinner? I'm going to be at work for 12 hours um you just know that that you've got food there yeah. uh, at, at the hospital uh, we also have a take-home meal program um that uh staff can swing by the cafeteria on the way out and for uh about 10 bucks we, we've discounted this it used to be about 15 but we've discounted it about 10 bucks you can feed a family to four to six um which is which is really really nice one of the earliest things we did was we set up a relaxation room. Have you tried out the relaxation room, I, Dr. Kennedy? I have not ventured into the <laughs>
1: relaxation room. I probably need to. I, I may have a few muscles that that need a little
0: <laughs> need a little it, massage chair. It is it is interesting. The massage chairs are quite aggressive. I'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> but uh but very I mean get get used a lot and staff I think love them. Um, and there's additional things in there. There's snacks, there's there's low lighting, It's really intended to be a relaxation room. Uh, we you know created a resource pool, and one of the th- things that I'm really most proud of is that we took uh, a perspective that we were going to redeploy rather than unemploy. And so um, there were some people who elected to take a leave uh, because the unemployment benefit was so good, um, but uh, when and where, as much as possible, re- redeployed people and did not go through any sort of layoff uh, through this pandemic, which, you know... Um, some people might say, "Well, that's overly altruistic, um, or not very business, you know, savvy." Uh, I would, I would argue, particularly these days when we're all clamoring for staff, right? <laughs> There's, uh, I, I think I'd heard uh, here recently that the you know average quote unquote hourly rate of a of a critical care nurse, you know, working as an agency nurse, um, a traveler, as we call them. Uh, is upwards of 140 dollars an hour you know in some parts of the country uh upwards of 170 180 dollars wow. an hour wow so uh certainly how you treat people they they will remember Well, right? i think they will remember
1: i i mean to me i'm i'm again you know i'm i'm watching a lot of this but i'm so proud of of that i mean for one thing you're part of a team and getting switched to a different role for a little bit is is okay, but it shows flexibility and that's the kind of people that, that we have and want yeah. know, working with us. But then also just the, just kind of taking away some of the anxiety of I'm not wanted or needed there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think it was a great way to handle that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was, I was very proud of us. It was scary. <laughs> it was very scary because you, you look around every other health system, certainly in the state and in the country is doing some sort of, uh, event like that, and and the fact that we had board support to do it, we had uh, you know the community support to do it was uh, it certainly helped make it possible. But but uh, yeah, it it has a great story to it, and it's something to be very very proud to be uh, be a part of. We also of course launched our daycare uh, at our health and fitness center um, back around spring break. We uh, did that through the remainder of the year, so March, April, and May, and then we've just reinstituted that actually for for staff your your staff your uh, kids rather are a little little too old for this, right. but when they were younger, you could uh take your kids to our health and fitness center up to three hours and you and your wife can go to dinner, you can go shopping, you can have a little bit of you time uh for our for our team free of uh free of charge uh, and then of course you know the park and praise those are some of my more memorable moments of this entire pandemic. Uh, on Sunday afternoons and donated meals and and other things uh we're very blessed to have been uh, have such support by the community and In a future podcast, we'll talk about some other things that we're that we're doing and contemplating um, The real focus here is to think of things that we can do to make life easier because uh you and I uh, can't stop the spread of the virus uh, in total um we can't um. Uh, prevent hospitalizations uh, to the degree certainly that we would like. Um, but there are things that we can do that to help make life easier, whether it's, you know, meals, uh, helping to run errands, helping to, um, you know, provide support for for their family. And so we're going to talk more about that later, but there's lots of things that we're contemplating and trying to do. So, you know, um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of the perspective of, of some of these initiatives and, and what, what they've impacted. Um, let me just ask you this. We know that the pandemic has been e- exhausting for all of us. Um, and we've you know done our best to support staff through this uh, COVID you know, crisis. Um, how do you think the frontline staff are doing? As you kind of, you've mentioned kind of on the unit that there's a real sense of camaraderie, but um, how do you think they're doing? Um, and um, do you get the sense they're, they're they're tired, uh, fatigue setting in. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I do. I, I get the sense that that they are that they are tired uh, in general. And I think, you know, for anybody can do anything for a while, and then it gets to a point where where the rubber meets the road and reality sets in. And even if you are a nose to the grindstone kind of worker. Um, you, you eventually can lose steam and especially when there's, you know, an emotional component to it and, and it and it's taxing like what we've been dealing with uh with this. So I do hear um staff that are, you know, frontline staff talking about, you know, I'm I'm tired or I, I need to take a little bit of time. Um I think it's it's hard to know when to do that. It's hard for for people that are frontline staff to know when to stop and take care of themselves. And I think that it's going to be necessary, especially as we go. Cause I mean, there's hope on the horizon, right? Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, the vaccine news sounds wonderful and I'm, I'm thankful for that and, and hopeful for that, but we've still got a ways to go with this. And so we're going to have to continue the things that, that you're talking about, and and I think uh, I think you know some of it. Like on on our team, you know, just even a personal check in. Uh, when I have someone on my team that asks me how I'm doing or checks in on me, um, you know, we can have a conversation about it, and uh, maybe uh, you know, it's just it's re- it's encouraging. Or yeah. when someone from the community, I've got buddies that reach out to me periodically and say, "Hey, uh, just checking in with you. How's it going?" Uh, you know, just knowing that somebody's thinking about you, I think, can yeah. can be energizing. Yeah. Um, I know. At times, we've actually even had like a, a chaplain service where you know, if we we've had a few weeks that were particularly hard, and uh, I feel like that was an encouragement to the staff as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We need to to do that again. I think we did a I did that a few times, and I thought it was very moving. And yeah, you know, I think part of what we have to do, and and what what I what I hope staff feel is a sense of, uh, Hey, we, we know this is tough. I mean, you know, it's acknowledging that it is tough. It's not impossible. Right. Um, this is, this is what we were made for to quote Esther four fourteen, Um, this is why we're here, but, um, it's going to be tough and it's going to be a challenge. Um, and one that won't, as you said before, won't last forever, you know, but um, there will always be challenges in healthcare. I think you know there will always be things that uh, uh, frustrate us, and right. certainly this is this is a magnification of <laughs> of any other frustration we've ever it, had to deal it with. Yes, it may top the list. Yes, uh, I'm sure it sure it does. You know, one other thing I I meant to talk uh, meant to talk about when we were talking about beds and and units. So when we started out with COVID, we took a um, an adult geropsych unit converted that to to, to COVID. Um, we have been able to morph into new space, and so um, uh, now in our hospital we've got our CCU, which is our uh, former you know critical care unit, and uh, moved that unit, moved the critical care unit uh, over to one East. Um, so if you do not have COVID, but need critical care, you go to one East, uh, CCU is still being used for COVID, uh, and in particular, you know, critical care, COVID patients, and then, uh, third floor and the second floor, uh, to North particularly are, are COVID, uh, units. Um, and so we've been able to, and, and have actually a plan to grow into more units if necessary. Hopefully we, we don't get there, right. um, and um, we've been able to use our rehab hospital as a, a resource. Um, talk about that a little bit, because I know this was something that was, was in our plan, and it may sound really easy. You know, you've got a bed and you've got staff over there, so just wheel the patient across the street and just take care of them, right? Right. I mean, it seems like it would be, but it is. So there there are several challenges on that front. Uh, Right. Uh, You
1: know, uh, I think that the the staff over at the rehab hospital has been great in accommodating their role in taking care of more acute patients. And they have taken that challenge and and done a great job with that. Um, So, you know, one of the things that we've had a hard time with is we've got a list of on our service, between five doctors, we have a list of around 90 patients. And you would think that you could pick five or 10 that would be in good enough shape to go over and, and take a bed at the rehab hospital because they're just not that sick. But like I mentioned earlier, it's it, it, the patients that are in the hospital are really sick right now. and we started listing the criteria for being able to go over there and it's hard to find a hospital yeah. patient that 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 fits the bill now there are, there are some and we've had patients uh who went over and they were very gracious about it and the patient's experience i think has been fine yeah um but um but it's amazing out of that list of so many patients that they have to it's it's uh i guess like a, not a needle in a haystack, but it's not just a ton of patients that that fit the bill yeah um, you know so um that has been interesting, but the care there has been great so yeah. um and thankfully we have that resource
0: available and have been able to to make some space by doing that. Yeah, so we we have you know y- y'all going over there. There's lots of physical therapy because that's really their their hospital, right? Re- rehabilitation um, and specialists uh, can go over there as well. But the the type of ideal patient you might describe would be one that would be maybe a couple of days from from discharge or a day or so from discharge. Um, they're they're a comfort care patient, maybe that's you know on hospice or about to be put on hospice, and so we're. We're transitioning them from from an acute care setting, right? Um, those those kinds of patients, I suppose, right? Is that, that, with that's a, the typical profile.
1: Absolutely correct. And so, you know, someone that needs heart monitoring, for example, we're not sending those patients there. Or someone yeah. that's needing some kind of respiratory support uh, cannot go there. But. Um, the patients that are recovering, um, uh, in particular, are good yeah. candidates for that, and so that's what we found: is that patients that are within a day or two of discharge, headed the right direction, but still just getting a little bit better yeah. before they head home, uh,
0: yeah. are are uh, good patients to to take care of at the rehab. Yeah. Um, give me your perspective as a as a clinician and as somebody who works directly with COVID patients. Uh, are you going to take it? Any concerns with the vaccine?
1: Right, I absolutely am going to take it. Um, I do not have any concerns with the vaccine. And this is a new way of doing vaccines. So I've, I've studied a little bit about it and thought through it. And I think it's an ingenious thing that, that they're doing. And I, this idea has been floated around for a number of years about using an RNA, an mRNA vaccine. But viruses actually infect people, and they're not capable of reproducing themselves unless they infect someone and steal their machinery in their body to reproduce themselves. Well, uh, the vaccine is taking advantage of that. It's putting a small piece of the virus's genetic material uh, that would produce a protein into your body. So this is what the virus does if it infects you anyway. It makes its own materials inside your body and assembles itself and then goes on to infect someone else. Well... We're just not putting all of that material in there. So it only gets to make a part of one protein. And then your body can see that protein and it can say, hey, that's not supposed to be here and respond, which is how your immune system works on getting rid of a virus anyway. So um, it really is an amazingly simple idea, but an ingenious idea. And I think the execution of it has been the challenge over time, but, but this has obviously been expedited and, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I feel confident that it's going to be effective. The numbers look great, but I am confident that it's going to be safe.
0: Yeah. Well, Dr. Kendrick, thank you for joining me today. Um, really appreciate your, your time and everything that you do on behalf of our patients and our community. Um, it is, uh, often said, and I've often said it, that COVID will be remembered uh, uh, for what it impacted and and the the death and the the sickness and the changes in our lives that it has caused. But uh, I think the real story with COVID is what it's revealed. And I think it's revealed uh, a lot of great character and caring among people such as yourself and the staff and others that uh in a in a time when they were needed, uh, stood up and ran into uh the, the pandemic, as they say. So yes. thank you guys for listening and stay tuned for another edition of our One Team One Promise podcast.